You're listening to the New Story Podcast from New Story Church in Kansas City. To learn more about New Story Church, visit our website at www.newstory.church. Welcome, everybody, to the New Story Podcast. This is an Equip episode today, equipping you to live out your Christian life as you faithfully love God and love others with truth and grace. Um, And today, a very special guest. I'm joined by the one and only Dennis. Um, Say hi, Dennis. Hi, Dennis. (laughs) Uh, He's also one of the pastors here at New Story. Um, We're close in age. Um, No, not really. We actually have the same birthday, though, October 28th, just a about 50 years apart. No, not quite that much, but it, it is quite a bit. Um, but he is actually going to be walking us through what kind of biblical decision-making looks like, uh, weighing, you know, what is good, what is better, um, how do we discern will of God, all, all that fun stuff. Um, so I am going to not talk any further. just going to hand it right over to you, Dennis. Thank you for joining us today. Excited for what you're going to walk through. Yeah, thanks, Jeremy. Uh, decision-making uh, just seems like it will overwhelm you at times. Uh, you get to that place of decisions, decisions. Oh, wow. Decision-making is more than just looking at options and picking one. It involves thought, evaluations, and selection. In a real sense, when faced with a situation requiring a choice, I'll make a decision. The only question that remains is whether or not that was a good decision. The focus of this podcast is how to make good decisions. We'll examine types of decisions, resources we bring to the process, things that influence our choices, and an approach to making good decisions. While we consider decision-making with a distinctly Christian perspective, the core information of this podcast will be applicable to everyone, each person, regardless of their faith, worldview, beliefs, must make decisions. The only concern is the destination to which that choice will lead. Roughly, there are two types of decisions. The first category is personal preference. These are often related to our personality and life situation. For example, I might decide to exercise. In my youth, as Jeremy mentioned a little earlier, uh, I might have chosen to run a mile and do calisthenics. At my present age, I would choose something more merciful to my orthopedic issues. Personal preferences also have no significant moral or ethical consideration. It will not be a choice between something sinful and something right. If I decide to eat fish rather than chicken, you know, assuming that each is within my dietary guidelines and consumed in moderation, there's no moral issue. By contrast, the other type of decision is what I call life decisions. These have a moral or ethical consideration. For example, if I choose to tell a lie rather than the truth, I have violated one of God's laws. In addition, there's relational damage and a loss of trust with the person to whom I lied. So in brief, these two choices are determined by whether or not sin is involved in the decision. 
The purpose in uh, this distinction is to alert a person's to one's tendency to get the two confused. If I really want something that I can't afford, I have a number of ways to convince myself to make the purchase anyway, regardless of stewardship considerations, sound advice from others, or potential damage to the budget and my relationships. The prophet Jeremiah warns us about the deceitfulness of our hearts. Another aspect of that warning applies to people that place personal preferences in the place of God's laws. Jesus took the Pharisees of his day to task for putting their interpretations and applications of Scripture in the place of God's Word. We can see this today in views on uh, perhaps Bible versions, music, uh, political decisions, cultural expressions. The point is, in determining right and wrong, make sure it's actually based on God's truth, not sanctified substitutes. Each person brings three resources to their decision-making, thinking, emotions, and will. Cognition, or thinking, is the way in which we process information. Thinking is different than knowledge. Knowledge consists of content facts, beliefs, and opinions. Thinking is the means by which one uses knowledge. A caution is in order. Some people believe that gaining more knowledge or accessing more information will make one smarter or wiser. This is not necessarily true. An example from the medical field shows this distinction. As medical knowledge has increased, Clinicians have developed ways to do many procedures. Just because we can do a procedure or use a particular drug does not mean that we should do it. This is because the decision is not just scientific. It's an ethical consideration that is determined by another area of knowledge. Critical thinking requires using all knowledge. The second resource is our emotions. Our emotions express how we feel. They show happiness and joy as well as sadness and despair. Reading the Psalms gives one a vivid picture of how people have connected their faith and their feelings. Our emotions are informed by our thinking. For example, if a person has been taught to have a right relationship, uh, that to have a right relationship with God, one must work very hard to get his acceptance. They may become fearful when thinking about God or their spiritual condition. If an individual has been raised to dislike certain kinds of people, they may present with anger when discussing those people. Some individuals seem to be ruled by their emotions. With King Saul in the Old Testament, what started out with a perceived insult to his pride related to David's military success, deteriorated into an irrational hatred that drove attempts to murder him. Rather than think through the basis of the emotion, some people just react based on faulty information. Often, an emotional response is fostered by prejudices and biases. There are some personalities even given to emotionalism 
One writer said that emotions are good passengers in a car, but dangerous drivers of that car. The third resource we bring to decision-making is the will. As inferred above, the will is informed by both thinking and feelings. The scripture speaks of making decisions out of the heart or with the heart. While the heart can refer to the emotions, it more often refers to the immaterial part of our being that includes thinking, emotions, and will. When Paul speaks of believing in your heart with reference to salvation, he's not saying that we just feel saved and that makes us saved. Believing involves knowledge of the truth assurance of its validity, and a response of active personal trust, that is, a response of the will. Every choice we make comes from an act of the will. It's important to recognize that the three resources, thinking, feeling, and choosing, is part of each of us. They're aspects of our personhood. The only consideration is how we use them to make decisions. Every decision we make is influenced by a number of factors. To make good decisions, one must evaluate these influences and see how uh, the power they have uh, to move us toward one decision or another. One of those influences culture. Although there are numerous definitions, I use this one. Culture is the expression of a uh, particular of particular beliefs, values, and worldview. For example, in the ancient Roman culture, infanticide, or uh, by uh, often accomplished by leaving a baby outside to die of exposure and neglect, was seen as acceptable, even encouraged. It was based on the belief that the child was just a commodity, an asset or even a liability. The goal was to handle the child much like other possessions for the economic and social well-being of the owner. If someone from a different culture, say from a culture that sees a child as created in the image of God and having uh, eternal worth and value, saw the, that Roman culture, they would be shocked and offended. Therefore, culture is not some abstract philosophical system. It's actually an outworking of beliefs that have life consequences. Another influence is our connections. It comes from uh, two main sources, you know, our family, our heritage, and our peer group. You know, each family has its own practices and traditions. These are often passed from generation to generation. As a man and woman marry, they blend their respective backgrounds into ways to celebrate holidays, parent ch children, and handle the household. In parenting, the children are taught the family rules and expectations. They become the standard by which the child is evaluated. Uh, deviations from the rules are met with a statement, You weren't brought up that way. Consequently, these family norms are ingrained indelibly in our minds. About the time of pre-adolescence, 
another connection begins to influence. That influence is one's peer group. It begins to impact a young person as they start developing their identity. This influence continues to a greater or lesser extent throughout life. We ask the opinions of others. We look at the behaviors and dress and lifestyle of those around us. Often we adopt those patterns without even thinking. These can be seen in, in fads and heard in the vernacular of the day. As a more senior member of the society, I often need one of my younger colleagues to interpret for me. Good or bad, the influence is there. A third influence is one that is humbling to admit. I've called it corruption. This consists of the effect that sin has on us. In theological terms, this influence is called total depravity. It doesn't mean that we're all as bad as we could be. It means that sin has adversely impacted our thinking, emotions, and will. Paul, writing to the Roman Christians, states that every person is sinful and, and really doesn't seek God. He draws this conclusion based on the evidence that he, he talks about in those first chapters of the book of Romans. With reference to decision-making, there is a constant bias in our choices toward sin. Our character is a fourth avenue of impact on our choices. Character involves personality, training, and experience. It's an internally developed aspect of our nature as we respond to our environment and life experiences. One example is a person that has experienced adversity and developed endurance uh, has uh, also uh, can avoid bitterness through that. In decision-making, one's character influences choices. You know, the first four influences are typical of all people. But there's a fifth factor that is unique to those that, are, that follow Christ, and I call this influence Christ. When a person trusts in Jesus as Lord and Savior, they become new people. They're forgiven of their sins, indwelt by God's Spirit, and part of God's family. With respect to making decisions, Christ followers have new resources, the Bible, the Holy Spirit, and the church, that community of believers. Even inside, there's a new nature that wants to please God and counteracts the corruption influence mentioned earlier. Paul encourages us with the promise that we have the mind of Christ. You know, this examination of the influences that affect our thinking serves at least two purposes. First, it should help us understand why and how people make decisions, good or bad. If a person is not a Christ follower, it's not surprising that they're not making decisions to please God. A second purpose is to alert us to the relative power each influence exerts on us as we make choices. If culture is a prevailing influence, the power that Christ has is diminished. The most one could expect is a compromised outcome. You know, by contrast, though, if Christ is the influence that is given priority, all of the other influences are reduced in their power in our decision-making. 
You know, all of this information leads us to develop a decision-making approach. This decision-making approach involves information, evaluation, and outcome. The information step answers the question, what do I know? As seen in our discussion of influences, we don't come to decision-making with a blank slate. Uh, there's always already uh, thoughts and, and beliefs in our heads. You know, the challenge is to examine what we know to see if it's actually true. The best test for truth is the Bible. If what you believe is true contradicts God's Word, your belief fails the truth test. In addition, you may need additional information to make your choice. For example, if you're making a purchase, you may have a legitimate need and uh, find it's within your budget, but you don't know which item to buy. Doing research uh, to determine value and quality and durability would be in order. Uh, I recently uh, purchased a vehicle, so I uh, looked at uh, different resources and car reports and uh, uh, maintenance reports in order to, uh, to make that decision the best it could be. You know, other decisions might involve experts. Uh, uh, asking somebody about it that, that uh, has experience in that field and uh, has done research. Use discernment. If your decision has a specific moral or ethical dimension, talk with your spiritual advisor using the Scripture as your reference point. The second step in making a decision is evaluation. The question here is, what are my values? Have, having acquired sufficient information, the goal is to sort through it in order to make a clear, specific choice. For a Christ follower, the decision must glorify God. Basic principle. Therefore, any choice that would result in sinful acts or tainted motive must be rejected. A good choice should show good stewardship of God's resources. There's also a relational consideration in making a decision. If you're married, have you reached a decision through uh, talking with your spouse, a kind of a collaborative effort to reach that decision? If your choice will affect your church family, how will this guide your thinking? At this point in the process, you should be closing in on a specific decision. One additional suggestion, when you finally think you've arrived at your decision, ask the opinion of a trusted friend. Uh, and this friend has to be one who's going to tell you what you need to hear, <laughs> uh, not necessarily one that will tell you what you might not want to hear. The last step of this analysis is the outcome. This asks the question, where will this decision lead me? While aspects uh, of this decision-making have been determined in the previous step, this is a more global and personal consideration. You know, the decision that you make is just one aspect of the course of your life. Your life consists of a, a sequence of decisions, and then experiencing the consequences of those decisions. 
As Christ followers, we've been made new in Christ to show Christ to the world. Paul describes this process as spiritual growth or becoming mature in Christ. Let me suggest a couple of outcome questions. After you make that decision, ask yourself this. Will this decision make Christ more evident in my life? And when I make this decision, will Jesus be more clearly seen by those around me? Now that you have the tools and the understanding of how to make good decisions, go forth and glorify God. And thanks, Jeremy, and uh, looking forward to how that the Lord will bless us in our decision-making. Yeah, thank you, Dennis. That was that was fantastic. Um, I, I hope this podcast was helpful for you in um, evaluating decision-making um, as a follower of Jesus. Uh, again, thanks for joining us. This has been the Equip Podcast, equipping you to live out your Christian life as you faithfully love God and love others with truth and grace. Now let's go do it. We'll see you on the next episode. Mm-hmm.